Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the Commercial Property Investor Podcast, where it's my job to introduce you to people from the world of commercial property. We're talking with investors and thought leaders about their experiences of the commercial property world and sharing our own lessons from the last 20 years to give you practical know-how so that you can follow in their footsteps. If you've ever thought commercial could be your next step, but it just seems too confusing and opaque, then you've come to the right place. There are so many exciting opportunities in this dynamic sector, and I'm looking forward to pulling back the curtain and sharing them with you. Welcome back to the Commercial Property Investors Podcast, where we aim to give you the knowledge and confidence to move from residential into commercial property investment. And I'm your host, Jerry Alexander. This week, I'm super excited to introduce you to commercial property investor, John McGlynn. John's been investing in commercial property for many years and has kindly agreed to take a few minutes out of his busy day to share some of his experiences and insights. John, welcome. Thank you so much for sharing some of your valuable time and experience with myself and our listeners today. Really looking forward to this. Glad to be here, Jerry. I wouldn't get too excited, um, but let's see how it goes. <laughs> John, we've actually known each other for quite a long time. I was thinking about last night. It's probably about 19 years that we've known each other. And during that time, you've always been kind enough to offer advice. And sometimes um, you've even, we've even done a little bit of business together. It's been inspiring to watch your, to watch your story and to watch your businesses grow. Our listeners are trying to move, in general, trying to move from residential into commercial. So it's a lot about the beginning stages, but I really wanted to drill into some of the results that you've had, John, which have been spectacular. But if we could just go back to the beginning, how did you actually get involved in commercial property? What were the sort of first things you did? Well, I regard commercial property as simply that. It doesn't matter what kind of property you have. Um, I actually founded my first company in the law school library at Strathclyde University on my 21st birthday. And I actually leased a piece of land, turned it into a car park for Glasgow Airport. And having been at law school, you you pick up a few little tricks along the way. Um, Things that we all take for granted now, but when you're 21, you just don't know this kind of stuff. And one of the things that the, the property lawyer always said was, if you're ever leasing anything, you should try and get an option to purchase just so that you've got that as a wee asset in the toolbox. And we stupidly at 21 said to the owner of this land, you know, we'll rent it off you. And by the way, can I get an option to purchase? And they said, oh, yeah, don't see why not. We need to get it valued. And so we got our option to purchase on that site. The business did very well. Um, managed to get on TV shows and things for free publicity. And our game plan 25 years ago now was very, very simple. Create annuity revenue and use the buns, the the extra revenue that you create to buy more property and create more annuity revenue. So literally we did have a 25 year business plan. And, uh, you know, I, I guess your listeners will be two types of people. There'll be the people who want to see property and become property flippers, the way people used to buy an old apartment, renovate it, and then sell it on for a profit. Uh, and you'll get people who say, I want to have a pension fund, which is buy one flat, save more money, buy a second one. Uh, and now that the flats market is becoming more challenging, commercials may be more interesting uh, and there's more of it. 
Um, we're, we're firmly in the annuity revenue pension fund. My, when I look at any property, my, my only thoughts are, I'm actually not going to buy this unless it's something I would want to own in 25 years' time. And I've been saying that every year for 25 years, and I still say it today. So I'm, I have no interest in flipping properties and you know the, the time and effort in buying it, sourcing it, getting it right, all the funding, everything you want to do, it's not easy. And the, the prospect of doing that to make a quick buck, for a lot of people it's necessity, for a lot of people it's actually a really good business because they enjoy that side of it. I would say to people who are doing that, you probably wouldn't be thinking that in 10 years because it does get to be a real slog. You go, God, another one. Um, commercial property, if you get it right and you get what you and I would call kind of trophy assets, and I don't mean the, the Mayfair block of offices. You know, if you can buy a really nice commercial property in a town or a city and it's a prominent site that's got various options and you got it at the right price and you were lucky in the right place at the right time, etc. That's a very nice asset to have today. Um, having options in commercial properties, really nice too. Yeah, so I, I totally agree with you. Holding for the long term, why crystallize tax if you can get away with not doing that and actually use the leverage to get the next one? I, I remember, John, a while ago talking with you um, that actually your first model was rent to rent. Do you remember that conversation back? I think it was in Edinburgh, Glasgow. You were you were renting apartments before anybody even, or it was the fashion to do rent to rent model. You were doing that. Yeah, I, I did a few of those when I was a student at uh, <laughs> Edinburgh. So yeah, I mean, it was it was an interesting. It was just like you know, space is space. Yeah. Um, but you know that I think those days are are gone. Um, you know, I, I think freehold property is by far the best investment you can have. And if you exclude all the dot-com billionaires, the richest people in the world have always been property owners, mainly commercial, but sometimes residential too. And wow. historically, they have always been the richest people in the world. And if any of your listeners go into YouTube and type in, you know, Bill Gates' wealth and all these, you know, the, the richest people on the planet, the, these guys are all making loads of money in tech. Majority of it's gone back into bricks and mortar assets. Yes. You know, the real trophy assets around the world, you know, your Mayfair office blocks and things, they're all owned by multi-billionaires. So even the guys who've got what looks like the nicest income streams in the world, they still believe in commercial property. So we should all believe in it too. Indeed, indeed. So, John, can you fast forward to today and just give us a quick description of your business now and what your current strategy is or your current model? Yeah, I mean, it's, the model's just evolved. I mean, the model hasn't changed. I mean, the, the, the foundation of the business, which is now called Scottish Capital, is commercial property. And I would guess more than 70% of our portfolio is still commercial property. Um, the rest is, you know, tech investments and we're doing a new bank. Um, we've got some mining JVs and things in America. But the majority of it's commercial property, which is principally three brands, uh, storage vault, self-storage, co-vault, flexible workspace, and uh, atomic warehousing, effectively. It's big, big, chunky stuff. Self-storage speaks for itself. Most people know what that is. Um, we've got a lot of capital invested in that sector. Um, co-vault workspace is really the kind of we work, we just model, but we own the properties. And I just can't, for the life of me, I can't understand how anyone could either value 
we work where it is or would ever want to invest in it because you're just investing in a brand. You don't own the assets and to me it's just crazy. What they have been very good at is really publicizing the sector that you and I are involved yeah. in. Um, so for that, I would thank the people who founded WeWork who have just lost billions because they've, they've generated a lot of interest for us. Um, Atomic is really the bucket that everything else sits in. So, you know, warehousing, some industrial estates and, you know, future development sites and things. Um, but, uh, you know, the, if you can do a trading business from property, that, that I think is the real sweet spot in today's market. Interesting. Great. I, I totally agree with you about the rent to rent model and commercial. It is doable and it is a way to maybe create cash, but not long term wealth. Um, it, yeah, you'll, in, get a wage. you'll get a wage from it, but you won't make any yeah, money. That's right. That's right. Um, John, in the middle there, if you don't mind me asking, there, I know you had an exit. How did that make you feel? What changes did it bring? For some people, that to them is kind of the end goal. For you, it looks like it was just the beginning. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, you know, it's one of those things, Jerry. We we had no plans to sell that division. Um, and the thing is, it wasn't a sale. I mean, most people who sell a business, they start something, it's their baby. They get so passionate about it. They get upset if anyone criticizes it or looks at it the wrong way because it's so personal. Uh, and people usually sell a business, they have one business. I was in the lucky position that we we run all of our properties really as separate companies. Um, so at the time I sold a division, we maybe had 30, 30 odd properties and this was like one chunk of the business. It wasn't all of it. If it was the whole thing, I think that's obviously a painful, distressing thing. But when I sold, I'd been winding down from day-to-day -day operations. I wasn't really involved in the day-to-day -day running because I thought you've got, when, you, when your business gets to a certain size, you've got a very tough decision to make. Do you want to work on the business or do you want to work in the business? And I really don't think you can do both. You've got to be a really super skilled human being to be able to do both. Um, and I decided that I wanted to work on the business and, and really get involved at strategic level. It was a change, but it wasn't something that I look back on and go, oh my God, I wish I hadn't done that. It's just, it's yeah. part of life. You just deal with it and move on. Would, would it be fair to say that some of those changes though led to you choosing to where you live now? and the type of lifestyle you have now? No, that was always in the plan, hand on heart, that was always in the plan. I always said, you know, at some point I'm gonna live in the sunshine, I'm gonna live where I can, you know, a few hours I can drive and get to a ski resort. So you've got summer time and winter without getting on flights and everything. So um, it may have accelerated it slightly, but it, was not, it, wasn't a, it wasn't a life changer in that way. It was always the plan to say, I'm, I'm gonna go and do this. Yeah. Um, and we, we, you know, what, what hasn't been publicised anywhere, Jerry, is we, we had a few chunky exits before because uh, I used to have a golden rule that says we're buying this asset and we're not selling it until one of the house builders came and knocked on our door one day and offered us what I thought was a very interesting offer for a site we owned that I didn't think would ever go residential. And then we did a few more of those. So we, we'd had a few chunky exits. Um, before we sold a full division. Yeah, so it helped, helped oil the wheels. Yeah, I mean, it was just, it was like another layer on the war chest, but the war chest was already pretty well topped up, but this was another big chunk on top, which is always nice. And, you know, it just lets you move even faster and buy more. 
John, just for a second then, just, just describe, when there isn't lockdown, just describe a typical day for you where you are just now down on the Mediterranean. Joe, you know, there is no typical day, Jerry. I mean, what I've always said, and it's true, is that I try and get up, wherever I am in the world, I try and get up just before, five minutes before sunrise, so I can grab a coffee and, and watch the sun come up. I just think it sets off the day quite nicely. Um, I'll spend at least an hour in the gym, uh, catch up on the news, uh, and then it's blast all the emails. And I try and go, I'm an hour ahead, um, so I try and get all my emails out before anyone else gets to send me emails. So I like to be proactive instead of reactive. Um, but, you know, there is no structure. We've got, you know, we've got all, all of our various little groups and subgroups on teams and everything for various projects we've got in the go. And I would say we are pretty opportunistic private equity property investors. You know, I, I, I do have spreadsheets that say I would like to have dots on the map in all of these places, but I don't sit every day and obsess about it. Um, we, we've got a good network of people who bring possible deals to the table and, and every day is different. Um, you know, we, we look at deals, analyze deals, and look at where we can do things differently and add value. And it's not, you know, same stuff you do and, and loads of others do. Yeah, it's great fun. I think that's the part of the industry that people don't realize when they're looking from the outside in is the creativity, the, the joy you can get from taking something that nobody else knows, has a clue what to do with, and actually yeah. building value into it. It's great fun doing that side of it. Yeah, I mean, I, I love it. I mean, I, you know, I think the more, the more capital that you make, the more freedom in theory you have, because my experience is the more freedom I have, the less you use it. I mean, I don't even a weekend means nothing to me. It's just another day because yes. I, you know, what even today we're on Monday. You know, if I just want to cancel some meetings and drive up to a ski resort just for the sake of it, even if it's not open, you can do it. Yeah, and with tech sure. now, mobile phones and Zoom calls and Skype and everything, you don't actually need to be chained to an office. No, and that's what's going to drive a huge part of our business sector, you know, our, our core kind of workspace model. Um, COVID is going to cause lots of pain for everyone. Let's not kid ourselves. But when we come out the other side, I think we'll come out slightly faster than the market because if you're a company, let's say you're a professional firm doing whatever, and you've got a 10,000 square foot office, I will pretty much put a guarantee on that half of those firms will not be renewing the leases on those 10,000 square feet because they're going to have staff who can work from home. You're going to have social distancing in the workplace and people are going to actually sit and think, okay, so we're going to have the same number of people capacity, but we can only get 50% in because of social distancing at work. So when you realize that people can work quite efficiently from home and elsewhere, once social distancing is over, you don't need 10,000, you need five. And the company that's got five only needs two and a half. And the company that's got two only needs one. And everyone's going to want flexibility, which is the model that we do. For sure. um, and I think, we're in, I think we're in for boom time in our sector. But that's yeah. not to say we're immune to pain. And for the avoidance of any doubt, for legal reasons, I'm not suggesting that anyone goes out <laughs> and invest in this sector. For <laughs> caveat, I am in no way giving any investment advice. I'm merely sharing experiences, so I should have done that legal disclaimer at the start. Yeah, we've got lots of small print, John, lots of small print. Um, <laughs> I, I, we were discussing this before we went on air. The, the last recession, one of the things we really noticed in 2009 and 10 was the significant increase of inquiries from people who perhaps 
they may be downsizing, but the one thing they really didn't want to do was take on another five or 10 year lease because they had no idea what was coming next. So being able to get flexible space was really attractive to them. And I, I remember the market doing really well. Partly the last time round was different because it was such a sudden cliff. There was a cliff edge and people changed very quickly. This time round seems to be a bit more of a softer approach because there's so much money sloshing around. But I think it's going to have the same effect medium term where people just don't want to be taking on leases. You're, you're absolutely right. I'm looking forward 100%. to seeing how that works. When I, when I started up 25 years ago, 25-year commercial leases were actually quite common. Then it dropped to 15, then it dropped to 10, now it's down to five. Yep. I would constantly predict five years from now, it'll be like, wow, we did a five-year lease. Not yep. going to exist. Even, even a long-term lease now is going to be year to year. A very long lease is going to be three years. Well, yeah, you see, I, even Land Securities there are now, they've got their, I can't remember the name of the division now, but they have their own serviced space now to yeah. try and move um, towards this kind of model. Yeah, I mean, we, we, were, we, were, we were all well ahead of the curve on this one, and there's going to be a lot of people coming to the park. I mean, this is going to be the new norm. That's just the way it is. Yeah. Uh, and it's going to be down to, you know, product, location, uh, and service levels. I mean, that's going to be the big differentiation in this space. For sure. John, um, just back to a couple of questions I've got here. If you were able to give your younger self some advice back when you started, what, what would you tell yourself to stop doing? What would you maybe tell yourself to do more of? And what would you say start doing? What are those three things? Um, the most obvious one is to get better people in the business earlier. Um, you know, if you want to build a business of scale, you have to have a team. I don't care how smart you are, nobody can do it on their own. And most people put off the difficult decision of bringing in the right caliber of people. So the sooner you can do that, the better. The minute you've done that, you've got to stop interfering. Uh, and you've got to let people who are better than you at everything they do, go and do it. Um, so for me, that's really the top two things that you've got to do. What was the third one, sorry? Just what, what would you tell yourself to continue doing more of as well as starting new stuff and stop doing certain things that you maybe shouldn't have been doing? Honestly, one and two. Um, I would just say, you know, press the reset button. Um, keep, high, keep looking to see where can you get more good people in and stop interfering and just, you know, you press the reset button again and again and say that that's the, the key thing. I mean, you know, any business... Success is about three things, product, people, and processes. So, you know, in our game in the serviced office space, you've got to have the right product. If you don't have the right product, the other two don't matter because it is dead. If you've got the right product, you don't have the right people, and you've got the right processes, it's dead. So you've got to have all three. And for me, the process bit is sit down and discuss the kind of business strategy. Where are we going? What's the direction of travel? And then stay the hell out of the way and don't interfere. Um, I, I'm not claiming I've been successful at that, but I'm getting better at it. Yeah. Um, I think people's, um, the title of an entire podcast series, John. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> but you're absolutely right. It's so important, isn't it? And, and you, if you have challenges with people, it, it's being able to make those brave decisions when you need to early on. Yeah. So you don't let things get too bad. Absolutely. Um, just uh, 
this this is a question I like to ask um, people to see what still motivates successful investors. I mean, what does investing in commercial property actually mean to you? Uh, life. Simply that that's what I do. Um, I, I don't really know how to do anything else. I mean, you know, literally I couldn't run a sweetie shop because I don't understand the dynamics of retail. Um, you know, I do like to think I'm a wee bit of a jack of all trades, but actually when it boils down to it, people have got to be experts at certain things. I, I think you can only be successful at something if you're better at it than the majority. Uh, and that can be luck, it can be genes, it can be how your brain thinks. Um, it can be all of those things. And that's why I mean, I did, I've got accounts and sorry, degrees in accounts and law. I've been to Harvard Business School. And I really home in on you know, the whole business thing. I mean, I've got a, a spreadsheet ticking over in my head all the time. I run my life by spreadsheets because that's just how I think. And you try and analyze the problems uh, and work out solutions. So to me, it's just, it's like a daily routine. I honestly, I mean, people say, you know, would you never consider retiring? I, was like, I can't think of anything worse. That would just be like, you know, Christmas holidays and things, you know, don't want to sound like Scrooge, but I hate it because nobody's at work. Nobody's answering calls. You could just go out and eat and drink all day. And there's only so much of that you can do. And you think, God, when is this over? Do we get back to work? John, here's, here's a question I'd like to ask you. So I, I've had the... Um had some fun skiing with you sometimes and I've seen you when you're trying to relax, when you are relaxing, do you ever actually switch off your phone or work completely? Or is it really just a part of everything that you do? Don't get too stressed about it. And it's just something that you do every day. Correct. Um, the only time I would say I genuinely ever really switch off is when I'm at the top of a difficult ski run, which is why I love <laughs> ski trips because you know, the, the fear of breaking a leg or something forces you to concentrate and just enjoy getting down that difficult red or black. Um, yeah. So that's why I love skiing, because it actually, you know, preservation of life forces you to pay attention and forget all the other stuff. <laughs> but, you know, I don't I mean, people say, people think I get stressed. And I mean, I say, stress is just, you know, You've got to have a mental filing cabinet and say, I've got 10 problems to deal with today. The human brain, in my opinion, can only deal with three things at any one time. So you've got to just work out, what are these three things that I'm going to mull over? Which one's most important? Things like nuclear war and global warming and getting a cure for the COVID, I don't even give that any thought because it's out with my pay grade. I can't influence it, so why would I waste time worrying about it? So you just focus on the things that you can control you know, uh, and try and deal with those issues and, and get them out of the way. But I mean, I, I refuse to go to, I mean, it's probably make me sound like a bit of a, a freak, but I, if I don't get a phone signal in certain venues, I just refuse to go. <laughs> Not because I need to be on the phone, just relax more knowing if I really need to know something or somebody really has to get in touch with me. Not that that's ever happened, but I just don't like going places without phone signals, for example. <laughs> and one of, my, one of my, I wouldn't name it, but one of my favorite venues, I spoke to the owner and said, I don't actually need a phone signal. I just need fucking Wi-Fi. So can you put Wi-Fi in, please? So I can at least get WhatsApps and stuff. And they put Wi-Fi in for me. So it's quite nice. 
<laughs> don't ask, you don't get, John. <laughs> Absolutely. I'll give um, a shout out. It was Colin Barr at the Beer Hall in Glasgow, and anyone who's in Gordon Street post lockdown, go to the Beer Hall and you will get one of the most fabulous selections of beers. Colin's most experienced uh, licensees in Glasgow and an all round good guy, and they serve the best two for one pizzas in Scotland. There you go. Great advert. It's not even your own business. Absolutely. I've got no <laughs> shame in it, no other than a, a very good customer. <laughs> Um, John, looking forward, um, if you are a crystal ball, where, where do you think opportunities are going to be over the next couple of years? Um, there is no doubt that there's going to be massive COVID disruption. My prediction is it's going to be worse than we think, it's going to be deeper than we think, and it's going to be longer than we think. What does that mean in commercial property terms? It means if you're in the long-term pension fund annuity investor group, there's going to be massive opportunities because there's going to be so many people who own property who just say, do you know what, I've had enough. My trading business that I used to trade out the property, I don't need this size of property anymore. Um, I can actually downsize and go on the internet and, and do all sorts of things. And I think there's going to be loads of those opportunities. Um, so I can't tell you specifically what they are because I would be delusional or lying, but I, I, I know there will be loads of opportunities for people who are ready to embrace a, a long-term strategic investment. Yeah, so you're ready. Is there, is there any advice you would give to someone who was trying to figure out how to get started in commercial property investment right now? This is not going to be that helpful, but think long and hard before you jump in. Mm -hmm. um, the one thing that people don't realise about commercial property is if you don't do it properly, you have a liability, you don't have an asset. You've got business rates to pay, insurance to pay, all sorts of, you, if you're sitting with an empty property, unless it's a very small property that falls below the rates limit, you've got a liability. Um, and none of us know what the impact of COVID is going to be. So I think you've got to really, I would say for the first time, you've got to be a specialist instead of a generalist. So if you've got a hundred grand to invest in commercial property, you've got to really pinpoint what is your small micro segment of the market that you're going to be the go-to expert in in the ideal world? Now, we've chosen flexible workspace as an example. That's not going to be an option for a lot of people because it's hugely capital intensive. You've got to have the right scale. I mean, you're into, you know, usually seven figures and above to get into that, that space. Um, for the micro investor, you know, I tell you, it depends on what yield you've got and what you want. But, I mean, you know, there's a guy in London who's made over 100 million just buying literally garage lockups. You know, you buy a garage lockup and rent it out. And, you know, there's, there's so many things, but I think you've got to work out. I mean, why would you get into any business? You've got to have some kind of knowledge that you've got that other people don't have or you know more than someone else. So, you know, think about the non property aspect of property and say, right, who's going to need property? What sectors? What change is going to happen as a result of COVID and teleworking and homeworking? And what problem can you solve? Because if you can solve somebody's problem, generally they'll pay you a small premium. And if you can get that small premium and you understand compound interest and you put that into your spreadsheet over a 10, 15, 20 year period, the curve just goes hockey stick. And that's the kind of those little nuances of commercial property that make a big difference. So don't, don't be a generalist, be a specialist in something, whatever you think is right for you. 
Yeah, great advice, John. Would would, would you um, would you agree that for when people are getting started, because this market can sometimes seem a little bit opaque and difficult to navigate, would you agree that starting small sometimes is the best way? Because there's a lot to learn, isn't there, as you get involved? 100%. I mean, if you're going to do resi, what are you going to do? Are you going to buy a little one-bedroom or a bedsit somewhere and renovate it? Or are you going to go and talk to Barrett's and try and buy 50 flats off them or build 50 flats? You know, absolutely start small and work up. Yeah. Work out, work out from there where, where the liabilities are, learn from mistakes, but try and learn from those experiences cheaply rather than spending a lot of money and getting it wrong. 100%. All right, John, thank you so much for joining us. We really appreciate it. Look forward to My catching pleasure. up again soon. Cheers. Cheers. Bye. So there we have it then. Big thanks to John McGlynn for sharing his time with us. I hope you found this interview informative and inspirational. Apologies, the internet connection was maybe not as good as we would have hoped between here and sunny Monaco. But unfortunately, due to lockdown, I had to cancel my flight down to see him in person. Maybe next time. Remember, look out for our Facebook page at facebook.com forward slash commercial property investor. Thanks also for the reviews and private messages of encouragement. It means a lot to us. And as a final point, how have you got on this week? Have you managed to get anything done on your commercial property journey? It's now the beginning of a new week. Get something done between now and the next time we catch up. All the very best. Thanks for listening.